0: Hi, I'm Liz. And I'm Rhea. Welcome to Karma's My Bitch, a podcast about love, sex, connection, abundance, joy, purpose, peace,
1: and how life isn't simply the stories we tell ourselves. Danny, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited about this. You are, for me, one of the most intuitive and talented mm-hmm teachers out there. So it's really exciting to have you with us. I mean, from a personal level, I actually met you before I met Liz. And I was wondering, just to kind of start off with, if you don't mind just telling us a little bit about you, just for any of our listeners who may not know who you are. No, my pleasure. First of all, I'm so honored to be here. And
2: I love that we were able to make this work because our time zones right now are so... Are so far apart. So uh, thank you for accommodating, and you know, oh, thank you late into the evening, you know, to to make this happen. What but is yeah, so,
0: time anyway at the moment? That is so true. Good. Or
2: days, or days. What day is it? What is, what day is it? I
0: don't know. Yeah. It could. Who knows what the hour is? It's all right. <laughs> So so true.
1: Well technically it's different days for us anyway, right? Right now we're breaking the rules of time.
0: Oh yes. Tell me what my future looks like.
2: It's it's also funny because I because most you know my clients are in America and Europe. So I, I feel like I'm on that time schedule. So about me. So my name is Danny. And I grew up in New York City. And I started studying astrology when I was about 19 years old. And uh, what, um,
0: did a friend introduce you to it or what got you, what sort
2: of sparked your interest? So one of my favorite places on earth, a bookstore. Um, I just was wandering through a bookstore and discovered this giant book of birthdays. And I'd always kind of felt different than my peers and unique in their... There are psychological indicators why, meaning like my family system and you know, the environment that I grew up in and all of that. But I felt like fundamentally unique in a way that felt different from my peers. And I was just kind of starting to individuate. It was more like, wait a second, something feels different, or often I don't know how to quite kind of process this or even understand. Who I am, and I was in the bookstore, and I kind of came across the astrology section. So I pulled out this giant book called the Big Book of Birthdays. This I big have blue one book. of those. You do right? Like I feel like everyone has one. And I opened up to my birthday, I and I was like, <laughs> "What is this? How does this understand me?" And so that kind of started me on the path. But because of the way that I was raised, and because, frankly, of my own interests, which were literature, history, philosophy, more of an academic and even pop culture perspective on the world, but certainly a materialist worldview. This felt like I had to kind of keep it in the closet, right? And so I started to just study it on my own. And then my first job, my first real paid job out of college. I was working at Scholastic in the department where we would create materials for literacy, right? To help kids learn how to read, but it was very content driven. And anyway, the woman that I was working for was really into astrology. And that was the first in a series of experiences where I found myself at jobs working for or around someone who really had a lot of knowledge about astrology and was significantly older than me. So it was like oh, wait, this is a thing. Like, I don't have to keep this quite as closeted, but this is a thing. So I go on my life and I, you know, work on the Kerry campaign and I work in politics and I work a little bit in the nonprofit world. I'm trying to find my way, given my degree in philosophy, which didn't have a lot of practical application if I wasn't going to go directly to law school, right? right? (laughs) Which was in the back of my head. So as someone who loved film, and TV and kind of grew, and theater and kind of grew up with that. I thought, well, I'm not a creative or assumed I wasn't a creative because I wasn't surrounded by creatives. I got a car and I drove and I moved to LA and I started working in the industry. Got myself involved with someone who was older and it was quite toxic and I found myself kind of flat face flat on the floor at about 29 years old. At which point, which is a very significant year in astrology, it's the Saturn return. And that's when we start to really start our journey of adulthood, or what we call kind of adulting um, nowadays. But the idea of who am I going to be as an adult in the world? What responsibilities am I going to have? You know, what are the things that I want to cultivate in my generative years? So anyway, I find myself in this kind of really dark place emotionally, and I start to do a lot of inner work on myself. I find out, which I'd actually known about this program, uh, which was a master's in spiritual psychology. In Santa Monica, my parents are like, "What are you doing? If you want to study psychology, go to the East Coast. Go to you know, go to the go to Columbia. Go to." But there was something about this program that really, really struck me, and so I signed up for it, kind of on a whim. It ended up being a three year course in spiritual psychology, and through that process, I started to understand where I exhibited kind of natural talents and where I felt like I was grasping. And I started a series of new and full moon circles with one of my best friends, Paula Malice, who's a doula and a spiritual guide and teacher. And in doing this, I would talk all about the astrology of what was happening. And through those circles, which took place in Venice, California, we started. they started to really grow and grow. And I started mm. to just naturally get clients. Hey, do you read natal charts? Would you read my natal chart? And it just kind of took off by itself. I it was just like, oh, I get this is what I'm meant to be doing. And so that's kind of how I found myself to where I am now. That's the highly abbreviated
1: version. Because you don't just do astrology as well. Like when you teach a lot about the chakras and you teach like yes. a lot of stuff that when I think about the sessions that we've had, they've probably been maybe like 30 to 40% astrology and yes, much more holistic than that as well, which I find really interesting because for me, and this is no criticism to others, but... You know, I feel like when someone has a craft, they rely very heavily on that one craft rather than seeing that there's much more to it. Whereas what I find really special about how you operate is that you kind of bring in all the bits that could be relevant for that client that's reconnect to who you really are. A big thing that I come at it with is a kind of psychological awareness.
2: You know, part of the reason that I love literature and theater and film and great television is I love, I love the human psyche. And I love the stories that we live. And so I think a lot of times in our culture, we, we lose sight of that it is a journey and we lose sight of, you know, that we are here on a soul path. But sometimes when we focus so much on the soul path, we lose sight of the human incarnation and vice versa, right? If we're too stuck in the psychology of the human psychology, then we lose sight of the soul path. So I try to bring it all in together you know, um, when working with clients. And that's why each session is, is unique because I'm meeting the client where they are. Some sessions, especially the people who I work with very frequently, we barely touch on the astrology, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it just, it really is what the client needs, but the astrology is the, is, is usually the
1: gateway in. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I remember speaking of astrology, you saying something very interesting to me about, and I know I don't, I don't know if, I, if a lot of our listeners would maybe like know that much about astrology, but mm-hmm. I'm sure they've heard of kind of Mercury retrogrades and yes, which is when I mean, I'm sure you'll be able to explain it better than I can. But I remember you telling me how you actually met your partner in a Venus retrograde. Correct. And I was hoping correct the day Venus went retrograde.
2: What I see is there's a lot of fear mongering with astrology and then conversely there's this idea that like you have a jupiter transit as an example which people really look forward to that everything is going to magically be tied up with a bow and there's going to be rainbows and it's all going to be the ten of cups card indefinitely and what the truth is about astrology is that first is that the energy is neutral right we direct it so all energy is neutral until directed the more unconscious the energy is, the more it's going to have an unconscious effect on how our life plays out. The more conscious we are, the more we can direct the energy. Does that make sense? And then when it comes to retrogrades, there's a lot of fear out there. But what I find is that retrogrades, there's a kind of mystical quality to it. And the way that I would look at Venus retrograde in terms of me meeting my partner, well, the first thing is we're pretty sure we met in New York in the early 2000s, We met again in Los Angeles, six months, almost to the day after I had a near-death experience accident. And when I came out of that near-death experience, I said, I want to experience falling in love. However messy, complicated it is, I want that is if I'm gonna be here on Earth, that's what I that's the experience I wanna have. Definitely got that in droves. Um, <laughs> messy and complicated and beautiful and all of these things. But the thing about my my partner is that we are radically different. Now, for some people, that wouldn't work. But for some reason, and I'm not even consciously sure why, it works for us. And I think that the Venus retrograde was me opening up to being attracted to a different kind of person than I ever would have been attracted to. It, like, peeled back the layers so I could see it almost from a soul perspective. And I remember when he walked up to me at the cafe, feeling something I'd never felt before. Hmm. And I think something about that Venus retrograde, just the energy of it, it allowed me to see things through a different lens. And that's what I think retrogrades can do. They they allow us to rethink, review, reorient, anything with a re in front of it. Um, and so we have this idea that retrogrades are terrible. But Sometimes I liken them to in the plays of ancient Greece or even in Shakespeare, there's a character called the deus ex machina, which is the god by machine. And that character kind of descends or finds its way into the story and rearranges the story to a certain effect. And in a way, I kind of see retrogrades like that. They're like an opportunity for the story to get worked out in a way that it's meant to. That if our ego was involved, it may not take the course that would be in greatest service to our destiny.
0: Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. That actually makes a lot of sense. I think that's a great explanation.
2: A lot of times with clients, I say that I have like astrological survivor victims because they'll come to me and they'll be like, oh my God, oh my God, I saw an astrologer and I have Venus in Gemini. That means that I'm never going to be able to find a partner. I'm like, what? it means that you're interesting Mm -hmm. and you attract by being interested and interesting and you like to be stimulated in your love relationship. Like what? Do you know what I mean? Like, we. But there are these cookie cutter interpretations that often leave people in tears. And then I believe it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because it's like, oh, well, I can't commit. I guess I'm not going to commit. You know what I mean? And I think that that's, I really try and try and help people see the deeper soul journey. And I think the other thing is, in my personal life, I've existed in many different worlds. And I've been around very many different people. So I recognize that the soul journey can take very many paths. Um, And the greatest gift I got from my master's is how I learned to be the neutral observer, which meant to learn how not to project or bring my own personal opinions or likes or dislikes. Because that doesn't serve the client at all, right? They're on their own journey. And what may not work for me is perfectly suited for them. So being able to see the energy, of course, I'm human, but as objectively as possible, and as malleable, you know, and recognizing that we are dynamic creatures. I have
1: to tell you that I've definitely experienced that in my past, whether it's from astrology or from, you know, from anything. Like I remember once there was this lady who stopped me in the street and told me that I wasn't going to get married until I was 45. And I was devastated. And even though I had no reason to believe the random (laughs) lady on the street... It stayed in my head and it became a fear, right? And the thing is, mm-hmm. fears, as we discuss in the podcast a lot, they're not reality, but we allow them to become our reality. In turn, they become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so sometimes it's, it's. I don't think, and this is just personally from like a user perspective rather than a practitioner perspective, <laughs> there's a ton of responsibility that comes with having clients and- Oh my gosh, oh yeah. so
0: much! <laughs>
2: So,
1: so much.
0: <laughs> so following. much. So
2: much. It is. And I, you know, I, when people come to me and they're like, I want to be an astrologer, where should I start? I always say, you know, some kind of facilitation degree. Because you're imparting information that is really impactful. So if you don't know how to deliver that information mm-hmm. in a proper way, one can actually cause damage. You know, especially this past year, I think for a lot of people, it's been really illuminating in terms of what is home and where is home. I know so many people, clients, friends who are making major moves, who were delaying moves and now are speeding them up, are kind of asking that question of where is home and what is home. And this is something we talked about slightly before we started recording, but. You know, I find myself in the in the wellness sphere, so to speak. I feel like having been in LA for fifteen years, there's such a strong conversation there and in California that wellness is tied up so heavily with nature and kind of cottage core and this idea of living a really bucolic life or a kind of ag- like semi agrarian homesteading life. And as someone who is very urban in my interest and really loves urban environments, I'm looking forward to actually being back in a city city Mm -hmm. um, and exploring all um, all of my work through that lens, because I think it doesn't have enough of a voice, actually. I think there's so much of a idea that urban life is not healthy for the mind or it's not healthy for, you know, it's anxiety producing. And, it, and I find that that's a conversation that's, and I understand it's part of a selling point of like, this is what wellness
1: is. And it's kind of a, but I just don't think it's true. Well, that's mm. a lot what we've been teaching and, uh, yeah. and discovering that really in order to connect to one's purpose, which is effectively mm-hmm. the most well you can be, right? Yes. As you loving yourself for it and honouring every aspect of one's heart, yes, we have to follow wherever our joy leads, and our joy might be looking down a street in Notting Hill, the West Village, yeah, or it might be looking out into nature, or it might be doing a bit exactly. of exactly, and that's exactly it. And I think mm-hmm. what we find a lot of late is that when people are getting lost. And i you know, it's actually funny enough, it's kind of what we've touched on in every single topic we've been discussing today. When people get are people feeling lost and they're feeling powerless, you tend to look to other things to see why are they feeling powerful? Can mm-hmm. I do what they're doing so that I feel yes too? So, is it okay? Well, speak to an I want that. Yeah, I want that. Well, they speak to Danny, they, they, yeah. know, they speak to an astrologer, I'll go speak to an astrologer. And actually, if, if someone says something that makes me feel uncomfortable, then that's probably right because I've been taught that fear is actually quite a good guiding force when in fact it's the total opposite. Or it's like, oh, well, I should move somewhere where there's nature because that's what people do, you know, that's where I am. But true power and our true divinity and our true purpose is by following our heart with what's good for us which means exactly teacher, everyone's purpose, power and heart will be telling them different things. That's what
2: I love. That's to me, that's the essence of my work is that it's really, it's about finding your uniqueness, that there's not a formula. And to always, there's just, I'm always a little wary of when people propose a formula because I do. I think we, it's really about tuning in to where we feel, you know, the most us and it's, It's a journey to figure that out. We forget and remember and forget and remember. And that's part of the journey. But it's always interesting. It's like, according to whom? Whenever there's a two in front of something, that reveals more about the individual sharing that information, right? No, exactly. And I find, like I had, I'll give you an example. I had the loveliest client in her 20s working for a major tech company. That tech company went public. She killed it in the IPO, was able to buy her first house with that, with what had vested. And she said to me, She's like, I actually still want to stay in a nine to five. I actually love it. And she's like, But I feel like that's wrong because I feel like the wellness, everything I read is like, I'm not a, you know, solo entrepreneur. I'm not a solopreneur. And that's really what wellness is. And I was like, That is so not true. Interesting. (laughs) That for her, was felt really solid. She had tried leaving it, but she actually wanted to go back to it, but she held the shame. And I thought, well, is that really wellness? If we're promoting shame around someone who wants to be in an, in an office, there's not a one thing that's the right way. And that means female empowerment, or that means that you're actualized, you know, there's, these things are so layered and complex. I'm interested in the individual and there's many, many factors that contribute to the uniqueness of an individual. I never think we should rely on one thing. I don't think we should rely solely on astrology. I don't think we should rely solely on human design or soul memory. I think these are all beautiful tools and access points on our journey. I just think the more that we can find the beauty in the differences, like I effing love my friends who are cottage coring it up you know, I think it's gorgeous.
1: I just, it's not me. Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting, what you, what it sounds to me like, it's very actually similar to social media, where mm-hmm. when you like the same things on Facebook or Instagram, you get to see more of the same things. So you start to believe yes. that someone out there thinks, acts, yes. what you want. And then, so if you see something slightly different, you're like, well, I should want that too, because every, they like everything yes. else like me. So I should also like that too. A lot of stuff has become about group identities rather than individual. Yes. We tend to lose again, our power of our individuality yep. or just seeing that we can the power to simply make choices, which is all power ever really is. We lose that because we look at everyone else going, wait, should I be doing what they're doing instead? And for me, the second you say the word should, you know, that there's, there's a power issue there within yourself that needs to be looked at. It feels like there's less
2: breathing room to explore one's individuality and to fall flat on your face and get back up because everything is recorded and this idea of cancel culture. So we're not seeing people as human beings. It's a dangerous place that we're in. And I I worry about it. I do. If we can't have an honest, intellectual, open conversation about ideas and we're we're stopping it before it happens, that's... That's dangerous to the development of our democracies, of our sense of creativity and art and perspective. It's like if we're all just outraged all the time, like to be outraged all the time is a
1: place to me of powerlessness you know you I mean, would definitely agree on that <laughs> we do this as humans we pretend something's not there we're like oh if it's not there it doesn't exist it doesn't count mm-hmm. well no it's there we've got to heal it, it that's mm-hmm. why it's there it's not there to be ignored it's there to be healed and i think yeah. a lot of times when we're canceling everything out and we're silencing everyone it's just like i don't like this opinion so i don't want to hear it rather than all right well Let's talk about it. Is there something to be healed here in you or in me?
2: But, you know, this speaks to, this speaks to, just to bring it to astrology for a second. So we are- I was going to ask you. (laughs) We're moving into this Aquarius energy, right? And Aquarius is a very paradoxical sign because it is both the uniqueness of the individual and the collective. And we have Saturn moving through Aquarius until early 2023. And so we're getting lessons around groupthink, Group ideology, of course, all that freedom. We're getting a conversation about group think, and then what's going to happen is that in 2024, Pluto's going to move into Aquarius. Pluto coming in in 2024 to Aquarius, it's like we're going to undergo this almost like revolutionary. Although that I know that word sounds really dramatic, but fervor around a technology. So we're already seeing this energy pop up for one. The kind of space, the new space war, right? So the idea that billionaires were kind of colonizing on space, the whole wage gap issue, right? So in America, we have the minimum wage thing, but we're seeing the last time Pluto was in Aquarius was the French Revolution. So we're kind of seeing similar themes mm. pop up, mm. right? These kind of huge gaps in um, income or wealth, So that's a theme. And then this idea of what is identity, because especially as we move into AI and different technological advancements, like what does it mean to be human? And uh, the novelist, Kazuo Ishiguro, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He had a novel called, he wrote a novel called Never Let Me Go, which is also a beautiful film, which explores this. And he has a new book. Um, that came out on March 2nd called Clara and the Sun, which is a very, it's the similar theme as well. And so I think that we are really exploring all of these themes, like how do we, how do we maintain our humanity in the face of technological advancement? And it seems, it's certainly the most extreme it's been, but every, every major technological advancement has come up against this beginning with the printing press in 1492. You know, how is society going to change now that everyone can have access to books. This is a long unfolding story. Um, It just feels like the extremes are more so than ever before. The power of the group versus the power of the individual. These themes, I think, we're going to see more and more and more of that as we move deeper into the age of Aquarius.
1: Well, that's what I wanted to ask you is that, you know, a lot of people have been, you know, this age of Aquarius people have been talking about for forever, you know, that 2020 was... Prophesized December 21 2020 we're going into the age of Aquarius. get your parties ready it's all going to be great and I know Liz was always saying that's not how it's going to be guys you know it's, it's, it's first it's, it's the reckoning it's the reckoning of, of fear yes fear has been but I'd love from an astrological point of view because I'm sure our listeners are so bored of like you know the guides point of view on the age of Aquarius. <laughs> 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 it would be great to have this from an astrological
2: point of view with all of these uh, prophecies of, you know, we're waiting, the great awakening, the great, you know, everything is going to change. I think that's deep in human nature, the desire to hook into some utopian ideal on the other side of what we perceive from the human lens is chaos, right? And I think um, we so deeply... Want things to be fair or righted, you know, in a kind of Marvel, DC comic kind of way, right? But the truth is, is that that's impossible without consciousness on the individual level. And the truth is that every single human being on this planet is wrestling with something, has shadow side, has darkness. So when I hear those kind of prophecies, what I hear is a lack of shadow integration and a Quite frankly, a lack of understanding of the human condition and human nature, Mm -hmm. because human nature plays itself over again and again and again. So, yes, we are gaining more consciousness. You know, I think Steven Pinker's book, like The Better Angels of Our Nature, like we, in terms of the span of time, We are increasing in consciousness. There is less violence than there had been before. Mm -hmm. Like we are evolving. But I think this kind of Pollyanna anticipation of, you know, the end of a Disney movie where everything that was gray and grayscale suddenly birds chirping and flowers blooming. And I'm too aware of human nature. And I see. I see what happens in small office squabbles and like, you know, family dynamics. You think you're gonna take seven billion people and they're, you know, gonna be dancing. I and I don't mean to be a downer, but like that idea that we're just kumbayaing like through the end of time is just no. And I get why
0: they say this, right? Like at some point when you're moving from three D to five D, history no longer matters. And in many ways, that's true, that in order to heal, often we don't need to keep referring to history because it often keeps that trauma alive, but it doesn't mean that we cancel out the past either. And I think that in order to get to healing, I think people are just trying to cancel it as opposed to really understanding it. And that's kind of what I'm taking what you're saying.
2: Yes, is that's exactly at least it.
0: Have a look at it so you can understand what worked and what didn't and why. And how that played into
1: human fears and motivations. What we're starting to see, and it feels like, you know, we've been saying this in many different ways as well throughout this episode, is that everything comes from the inside out power, freedom, choice, being an individual, therefore being able to be harmonious within a group. You know, I think the one thing we haven't tried as a collective is to see ourselves as a collective of individuals. Everything else we've done. We've done following all the religions, we've done following all the governments, we've it's done true. So many different things. That is the one thing that's left. And if you describe the age of Aquarius, the Aquarius is, you know, the individual and the collective, maybe that's what is the next step in the in the way, which is in line with kind of what we believe to be what 5D oneness is. We can be gods together. I'm finding myself struggling a bit when I go on social media and things like that. And I see people telling people what to do, how to do it, in what outfit to do it in. And I'm just mm-hmm. like any teacher worth their salt is just empowering you. So, Danny, I
0: hate to put you on the spot, but there's this question I'd like to ask you: What is the one thing that you would tell our listeners at the moment about how to how to approach astrology going forward?
2: I would say to approach astrology not as a fixed, finite thing, hmm. but as a tool for understanding the breadth of the human experience, the breadth and the depth of the human experience. Okay, But I think a lot of what I see is that people will then say, oh, I don't like Pisces. <laughs> but if instead of saying like, oh, well, what is that? What are those qualities and how do I relate to those qualities within myself? Okay. You know what I mean? So I think, there, I think that astrology is a tool in order to understand the human psyche, the human experience, and to open up our eyes and our perspective to what it means to be human rather than it being a singular way.
0: Cause sometimes I really wonder why are people constantly grasping and using that to explain everything they do or say
2: or think. Yeah. It's an excuse, right? So it becomes an idea of like, oh, this is this is how I'm gonna label myself and this is how I'm gonna label others. But again, that's not like that's not a deeper understanding of the human Mm. condition. That's a way to siphon one self. It's actually Mm -hmm. a way to keep one separate. And I think because we are so, I think the biggest thing that's happening right now is that people are craving an identity and they're craving a fixed identity. And I think it actually goes to the group and identity politics thing, right? It's like, if I'm Scorpio, then this is what it means. Yes. Yes. But that's not really true. It means you have that aspect within your psyche, but we Mm -hmm. have many aspects within our our psyche. Mm -hmm. Part of the beauty of reading novels or watching films is that we get to enter into another person's world and perspective for a bit. I think it's like the way that we approach these things because I think that sometimes it's just like so it's just so much information. And it's like, is that information helpful? the way that living, it's like, if you, you know, if you want to learn about relationship, you got to get out there and meet people. And I think this idea of like waiting for the one, um, which I suffered from. So this is definitely a projection outward. It's like, I was waiting for the one. And I, I actually lost in many ways, many years of just kissing the wrong person and making mistakes because I was so fixed on like, no, I know it's this person who it wasn't, of course. You know, but I lost out on the learning, and so in many ways, I've my learnings in relationship have been you know later than others because I was waiting for this thing, and I I I
1: see that a lot. Me too, for sure. I look back at the so much of my life, I was like waiting for this mythic- mythical person to come save me, and then once I figured out that I could save myself, then I went out and got to actually figure out what I was like in relationships and try different people on for size and and actually just have fun and enjoy it, which I do think like is, is the point, connection and enjoying that connection. But when I was waiting for someone, you know, to come along, this myth of the one kept me basically at home alone, waiting for someone that never walked through the door, right? I was in a place of
2: fear and insecurity and not enoughness. And so my, you know, waiting for that perfect person was a way to keep myself safe. But again, if I just said here, okay, so here's that example. If I'm like, oh well, but I had I have Venus in Leo, so I want a big love, so that's all okay. You know, I can just wait for that like big giant love because I have Venus in Leo. I got a lot of other parts of my chart. We can hold these things, and and they can say, oh well, that means that I don't have to take the risk or I don't have to engage, and that's how we build our self esteem by falling down and getting back up. I think mistakes is such a loaded word, but this idea that like that we're all supposed to know. It's like you don't know algebra 2 before you start algebra 1. That's why you take algebra 1 and start algebra 2, but we think in our life in terms of jobs or relationship that we're supposed to have mastered algebra 2 before we enter into the day one of the classroom. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But we're just like waiting to exhale and holding so tightly. And life is messy and it's going to be messy.